Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'd like to host my own podcast? Well, guess what? You can go to podbean.com slash voices and get everything you need to create, manage, and promote your podcast. I use Podbean every week for voices in my head. There's easy uploading and publishing tools, stunning templates, custom domains, social and promotional tools, an embeddable podcast player, monetization tools, and more. It is your all-in-one podcasting solution. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. So go to podbean.com slash voices. And when you sign up, use the code VOICES and you'll get a sizable discount. Podbean, for your home podcasting. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, the latest album from Rick Lee James, has garnered praise from CCM Magazine, Worship Leader Magazine, UTR Media, and more. Written and arranged using hymnals and prayer books for inspiration, this collection of ten modern hymn-like worship songs will inspire individuals and congregations to draw near to the heart of God. Highlights include Christ is Lord, inspired by St. Patrick's Breastplate Prayer, Advent Hymn, and the Communion Hymn, The Invitation. Worship leaders will be glad to know that all songs on the album are published through Lifeway Worship. Find Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations on Amazon, Spotify, Apple Music, CD Baby, and at rickleyjames.com. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget, to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James. Well, today my guest is Reverend John T. Galloway. 45 years ago this year, Reverend Galloway published a book called The Gospel According to Superman, a book which brings the true message of Christ back into focus by contrasting the humanity and vulnerability of Jesus with the invulnerable embodiment of our own fantasies and man-made gods, embodied in the book by the character of Superman. The Gospel According to Superman is more theology than comic book, and having recently read it myself, I can attest that like all good theology, it holds up very well. Reverend Galloway, welcome to Voices in My Head today. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, I am very glad to, to, uh, to, in a sense, I guess, call you out of retirement to have this conversation today. I came across your book and uh, as a used copy, and it's not in print anymore that I know of, but as I was telling you before our conversation happened, somebody ought to, to really pick that up because I found a copy on Amazon today for over $100. So <laughs> Whoa. It, it must be like, you know, printed gold at this point. So <laughs> I don't think they pay royalties on that kind of transaction, unfortunately. That's, but, uh, that's I'd be true. glad to receive it. <laughs> that's right. I'm sure you would. 
Well, I'd like to start by just talking about you. Um, I'm, I'm interested in your ministry and in who you are as a person and what you've done over the years. And I was interested as I was reading a little bit of your bio that, like myself, you grew up a preacher's kid. And yep. uh, did you think when you were growing up that you were going to follow in your father's footsteps as a minister? Not necessarily. If I could have, I would have become a professional athlete, but um, God did not bless me with a body that allowed that to happen. Uh, So uh, (laughs) I then thought about going into the law, Uh, went to college thinking I was going to go to law school after it, and um, along the way I couldn't escape the call and uh, felt that whatever it was, if I weren't somehow preaching the good news i was uh not doing what i was born to do so uh that's what i pursued well that's wonderful well i'm certainly glad you did and um following your life a little bit you received your higher education after uh, after high school at princeton university and then the seminary uh, yeah. i'd love for you to ask you how would you describe uh, princeton's influence on kind of making you the minister that you would become um, those are two, they're across the street from each other, not related to each other, but bear the same name. Mm. Princeton University was a fascinating and humbling experience. I came out of high school thinking I was one of the smarter people in the world. I came out of the university sensing that I was probably one of the stupidest people in the world. <laughs> oh. um, went from top of the class to near the bottom of the class, discovered... Uh, primarily through testing of my children, that they inherited from me a reading disability. Mm. Um, And I think sometimes you can go through life and push yourself harder if you don't know you have the reading disability, and I didn't. All I knew was I couldn't keep up with the reading. Mm. And um, Princeton University will hit you with hundreds of pages to read every week, Um, and it is a very uh, rigorous, and challenging thing, and I did the best I could uh, to get through, and uh, somehow did. Um, very, very good experience. Um, and uh, there were, it's interesting, in a wholly secular environment, the ways in which some very solid evangelical fellowships develop, and uh, small groups, various denominations, independent groups, and uh, I would. Uh, frequent one of those, um, then went on to seminary, and uh, was something of a rebel, um, almost got kicked out a couple times, but uh, I, I think that was an important period also. Your, your rebellious periods can be very, uh, very important. Sure. Went from, went from there to being a youth minister in Greenwich, Connecticut, as the drug culture was sweeping through. And uh, that was a fascinating period of time. They had the money to get it. They had access to getting into New York and getting all they wanted. But they were brilliant kids, great kids, good families. And I uh, worked with a good staff and learned immensely, uh, being at the First Presbyterian Church in Greenwich, Connecticut, a wonderful church. Hmm. Well, and, and then from there, you know, you talked about your, your time as a youth ministry um, there in the 60s, and, and then at one point, um, you became the head of staff 
at First Presbyterian Church in York, Pennsylvania, and you say that you succeeded, uh, among other predecessors, one of your heroes, Ernie Campbell. Uh, yeah. I, want, I wonder if you could tell uh, the listeners today about who Ernie Campbell was and why he was such a great influence upon your life. Ernie Campbell was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. He um, went from uh, York, as I recall, out to Ann Arbor, and from there he became pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City. Hmm. His sermons were published uh, every week, and he was probably, for a period, he was succeeded by uh, William Sloan Coffin, um, who was also an above-average preacher, I would say, <laughs> one of the best uh, ever made. Sure. Um, but for a time, Ernie was probably, as, as I say, the most plagiarized uh, preacher in the Western world. Um <laughs> He had certain sermons that were probably preached a thousand times across America uh, by different preachers, never giving him credit, I'm sure. Mm. Um, just a, a tremendous challenge to uh, follow somebody that good and to, uh, it, you can't uh, slough off. You have to uh, bring out your A material every week and uh, pray that you can have A material the next week. So yes, I'm it, sure. Uh, it was a challenge. I'm sure that would be quite a challenge to follow, but but boy, I'm sure working as hard as you did, I can tell by your writing, uh, you must have done some wonderful sermons yourselves, yourself over well, well, the years. Well, one thing I discovered in succeeding Ernie Campbell is I couldn't plagiarize him anymore, because <laughs> <laughs> they were getting his sermons too. <laughs> well, as a lot, of, yeah, you you don't have that luxury of a lot of preachers say of a steal and steal boldly, you know, when it yeah. comes to that. So. Well, one other fascinating thing before we get in uh, into your book, um, just continuing your journey in ministry, uh, you were also a minister at the, the Fox Chapel Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. And yeah. while you were there, um, I, I wonder if you could tell us this story, because the steelworkers there tried to disrupt your services. And uh, right. you say that some, some very interesting and wonderful things happened as a result of these times uh, because you listened and responded to these steelworkers. Could you tell us a little bit about that story? It was a fascinating time in the early 80s. Um, national news was covering the fact that on, I think, Easter Sunday, my recollection is it was 83 or something like that, 1983. They went to the Shadyside Presbyterian Church, a wonderful church in Pittsburgh. Um, and they were, Shadyside was on a, uh, a very nice uh, community in the city near the University of Pittsburgh. And they sat on a city block and had the city block to themselves. And um, steel workers paraded in on Easter and um, took over the service, an absolute shock to wow. everybody. Nobody saw it coming. Um, here you are on Easter Sunday in a wonderful church, and down the aisle come 30 or 40 uh, big old steel workers and uh, take over the service. Hmm. And uh, it was a, a difficult confrontation. Um, and they said they were going to come back, and uh, so they but then, so the next week, when they were going to come back, uh, the whole block was rimmed shoulder to shoulder with Pittsburgh police. Hmm. And national news picked that up. Um, uh, Presbyterian Church, uh, uh, with police uh, keeping the uh, demonstrators out, I don't blame them because of the way the steel workers had behaved. Um, 
but they came announcing on both Sundays they were there that their intention was to come out and hit the Fox Chapel Church. I forget what it was, Mother's Day they were going to hit, or uh, someday they, they, they announced the date that they were mm-hmm. coming, anticipating that if uh, Shadyside brought out the police um, with all the corporate executives in our church, um, we'd bring out the Marines. Mm. And so uh, they came out en masse, and they, uh, our congregation, of course, packed the house, because this is going to be good theater, so if you want to increase attendance, announce that there's going to be a demonstration. I mean, we had uh, we had to have chairs to get the people in. Wow. And um, the police were there. The network television was there. It was uh, it was theater of the absurd. And uh, steel workers came in and uh, said to our ushers, you know, are you with the FBI? Where's the FBI? Because they anticipated <laughs> that we would have that. We had nobody. Mm-hmm. Um my theory is, if I, as I might have said already, if I, if I hear 40 men are going to come as first-time visitors, I say praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, I don't care if they're going to demonstrate or what they're going to do. They're doing what the majority of men in my church weren't doing even on that Sunday. They were coming to church. Right. So you can work wow. with people if they come to church. <laughs> so uh, we figure that they're there, and uh, we're going to welcome them. They're first-time visitors. They're men, which are, it's hard to get in a Presbyterian church, and uh, we're going to treat them with respect which baffled them completely. And they paraded down the center aisle, and uh, then they got up and stood across the uh, front of the congregation and looked menacingly at people, thinking that everybody would be terrified. Um, I knew enough of the Saul Alinsky strategy and had been on some of their activities in the past, and I knew that the whole thing they were doing was to goad us into doing the absurd Hmm. and to... Uh, bring out of us the worst that was in us to demonstrate what that was, and I was bound and determined to show them the best that is in us. Mm. And it was a fantastic standoff. You got to maybe 600 people sitting out there, and these steel workers standing across, and they're staring at each other. And I'm trying to lead a worship service. <laughs> it was just wow. you know, one of those things you'd love to relive. It was it was kind of a fun moment when you come yeah. right down to it, and. Uh, gave us an opportunity to witness to who we are. And I can remember uh, about 20 minutes into the service, one of the steel workers just kind of turned around and looked, looked back up at, at, at me uh, and at the, at the choir in kind of an absolute amazement. He had no idea uh, that these people in that community would actually welcome people such as they were. Mm. And... Um, so they said, can we speak to the congregation? And I said, certainly. So they came up, and the guy got up, basically apologized uh, for being there. Um, so they, they hoped that we would uh, take seriously their plight, and they uh, they left. Mm. And so uh, as they, they walked out, I said to the congregation, I, you know, I guess they've heard me preach before. <laughs> that, that kind of relieved the tension, and uh, we went on with the rest of the service. We then met with them, and that was the turning point. We asked them to come in, and they thought it was kind of a show, and they thought there'd be cameras there. And no, it's just a private meeting with our mission committee. Um, Let us, you know, let us hear what you're up against. Uh, You know, you've got a problem. You've got needs. We happen to be the Church of Jesus Christ, and we also happen to be people who have some connections. If you got some problems, we might have some answers. 
um, let's behind closed doors talk about this thing. Hmm. And um, and a big old steel worker starts to cry. He can't get health care for his kids anymore. Hmm. And I tell you, that touches your heart. And sure. if that doesn't touch your heart, you're dead. Um, and when this guy starts to, to uh, tear up and get emotional and talk about his children, um, and he says, I can't go anywhere. I, I, there's nowhere I can. My kid gets sick, I can't take him to the hospital. My kid, I, I can't afford health care. What, what am I going to do? And uh, so we had some connections with the Blue Cross of Western Pennsylvania, and bless their hearts, they were there. They responded. And mm. uh, the, the, the problem an insurance company has is you've got to have a market and you got to have people who can pay the premiums. Steel workers can't pay the premiums. They've mm. got the need, but they can't pay the premiums. Right. So I said to uh, the Blue Cross, uh, you, uh, you get a product, I'll go to the unions, we'll get you customers, I'll go to Fox Chapel, and we'll get you money. Mm. Uh, and they launched a caring program for children, which I think was the first step in the national health care debate. Wow. And it went from there, and, uh, and then other Blue Cross, uh, and Blue Cross is to be thanked. Um, they stepped up. They could have said, oh, we don't do that kind of thing, but no, they didn't. Blue Cross was there to help us, and uh, so kudos to Blue Cross. They're the heroes in this thing. They developed the product. Uh, they put out a good product, and uh, it went across the state and across the country with the uh, caring program for children that uh, launched the health care debate. Wow. And what a wonderful story of the kingdom of God in action. That is exactly. a, a powerful story. And It brought together all of the best of America. Yeah. And uh, it's the kind of thing you don't see too often. And I uh, was just kind of privileged to be a part of it. That is terrific. Well, thank you for, for sharing that story before we get into your book, because I felt like that was worth hearing uh, as much as anything else that we were going to talk about today. I, I love hearing stories like that. And, and well, I think we... that's what the church needs to do. Instead of talking at the community, they need to listen to the community. Um, we have resources. We have a strong faith. We have a great God and the Holy Spirit can work through us to respond to those needs. So let's listen. Yes. Listen. Yes, amen to that. You're exactly right. Well, let's talk a bit about your book while I have you here today, The Gospel According to Superman. Yes. Uh, interestingly enough, Superman and, and superheroes are big business right now, as I'm sure mm -hmm. you know. But in 1973, when you wrote this book, I think it was a different story. Superman the movie wouldn't come out for, I think, another five years after your book That's was published. Right. And uh, and you admit in the book that you had thought Superman was gone, sort of an icon of the past. Um, so I'm interested. And I think you really through, through the uh, late '60s and early '70s, Superman was gone, and yeah. I think that kind of a uh, cynicism was in, heroism was out, mm. um, and we knew what we were against, but we didn't know what we were for. Right. And it was a, and you know, there's something to be said for knowing what you're against, but your message of uh, criticism is stronger if you know what you're for. Yeah. Uh, in addition. Well, that's true. So, so what made you pick Superman uh, in this time to when you decided to write a book like this, which really does have some strong theology in it? Well, it came out of a part of the. Uh, uh, underside of my nature is I have a quirky way of looking at nature and um, take very few things <clears throat> very few things seriously and my first year in seminary 
there was a course on uh, writing a paper on uh, uh, major personality changes in literature. And so people were writing on these people who had conversion experiences, went from being a drug-addicted person to being a saint and so forth and so on, which is what the professor wanted. So I wrote on Clark Kent. And um, the the change that he went through in becoming Superman. (laughs) And that got me fascinated with Superman and uh, who he was and, and so forth and so on. Um, as I say, my first, uh, as I say, my, my beginning in ministry in Greenwich, Connecticut, with Bud Collier, uh, who had been the voice of Superman on the radio. Yeah, and, so cool. Uh, he helped me get back to trace it as to how it was uh, a couple guys getting together, and they had a projected hero, uh, and they began to do it. The Superman is kind of the projection of our wishes. Yeah. Um, the inner us that wishes we weren't bound by all these weaknesses, what a great person I could be if it weren't for the fact that I have dyslexia, Mm. uh, which I do, Um, and um, attention deficit, which I have on steroids. Uh, (laughs) And so, uh, man, I could be something if I just could step into a phone booth and get rid of these problems and come out as a man of steel. And um, it's it's kind of in all of us, and uh, so that's, that's projected. Were I to rewrite the book, I'd emphasize that more. Um, as it was, I talked about, uh, I don't remember what I talked about, but uh, yeah. uh, how we have this wish fulfillment of, uh, sure. of magic answers and magic power. And, right. uh, it, it's a thought I think all of us need to uh, spend some time wrestling with. You know, yeah. it, Isn't anybody out there that thinks he or she is everything they ought to be? That's why we have prayers of confession and worship. Oh, sure. Well, that's interesting to me too, and I, I enjoyed reading about that uh, that you knew Bud Collier a little bit, yeah. and and I I enjoy still they have some podcasts where you can still listen to the Superman radio shows, and so from time to time I'll still listen uh, to him, yeah. and uh, that's just a very uh, that's a neat connection in itself. Um, now in your book, now I'm gonna I know it's been a while since you wrote it, so I've made a few talking points about some things that I really enjoyed in your book, and, and maybe we can just discuss them a little bit. But one thing that I really found you were the one uh, that enjoyed great. something in it. I wonder I'm, who it was. I'm, yeah. I'm the one. It was me. <laughs> no, yeah. I think a lot of people would enjoy it, uh, if they were able to find a copy today. Um, but it, in the book, you reference Tertullian. And his quote that says, Almost the greater part of mankind derive their knowledge of God from dreams. And as you interpret what Tertullian meant was that most people worship a deity produced in their own dreams. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you here from your book. Uh, Gods produced by the dreams of the majority have little resemblance to the God of Scripture. Uh, and you also said that Superman is the product of human wishes. So my question for you is, do you think that might be why superheroes have gotten so popular again right now? All the movies yeah. and the books, and maybe it's easier to rush after gods that we imagine than to trust in the immortal, invisible, God-only wise that we sing about. But is, is, what are your thoughts on that? I think we live in a very interesting time. Um, we have a fascinating character in the White House. Um, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> we've gone from FDR and Eisenhower and John F. Kennedy to Donald Trump. Hmm. And um, uh, we're looking for something. 
and um, it, it, you combine the fact we have Donald Trump and we have the emptiest bench I have ever seen in political leadership. Um, mm. All my life, and I won't tell you how old I am, but uh, I was born before Pearl Harbor, mm. and um, I have never seen so few able candidates for president of the United States. Hmm. Um, I've always it's always been a. Would you want which of the three able characters would you choose? And and now, I don't know who's out there. Yeah. I don't know who wants that job. Yeah. Um, the dearth of leadership uh, makes us vulnerable to a Superman. It makes us vulnerable to uh, to dangerous leaders. We we need to be calling more men and women uh, into. Uh, who are really capable into significant leadership in our country, and we're not doing it. Mm. Um, and I don't know whether you, you see the same thing yourself, but but I, mm-hmm. I, I just have never seen such an empty bench oh, uh, I agree. out there. Yeah, and I agree. And this with you. is frightening and makes us vulnerable uh, to some wacko that could come along and really get us into trouble. It makes us. Uh, understand why people have a fantasy about uh, superheroes uh, mm-hmm. would that there were a superhero who could come in and and help us we, america needs to start uh producing leaders mm-hmm. and uh see politics as a worthy uh pursuit we need to be calling the best among us into political leadership and uh, it doesn't pay as much money as some other professions and i think we have uh one of the problems of worshiping mammon rather than God is that people go into professions for the money rather than following the calling that God is calling us to pursue. And uh, politics is a calling. It's a call to service. It's a call to leadership and vision and to call America to goodness and uh, to call the state to goodness, to call the county to goodness. And... Uh, we just need people who are committed to doing that, and you're not going to make a million dollars and a gazillion dollars, uh, but you're going to have a good income, you're going to have a say, and you're going to have an influence, and uh, you're going to be a public servant, and uh, that's what Jesus has called us to be, mm. called us to, and, not to be great and lorded over you, but to serve, and uh, I wish we could get people to do yeah. that more. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, by that same token, even for those that that aren't called into maybe a, a political career, uh, we we definitely need a church with the kind of character that can say to those in power, "Thus says the Lord." Rather than you know, I, I've always used this image. You know, the church seems to lose its power when we'd rather play golf with Pharaoh than say, "Let my people go." And I think yeah. we, we need a church that has that kind of empowerment by the Holy Spirit to speak the truth to the power as well. And and I, I think you've uh, I think you've said some good things about that today. And and we're we're kind of a people who are looking for a Superman to come and save us. And I'm going to reference your your book again in this next question um, because in your book you say that. Um, many in the church see Jesus as a kind of Superman, strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men who disguised as Jesus of Nazareth was not really man at all, but remained God himself. <laughs> and and uh, since you wrote your book, uh, Superman movies and comic books over the years have been filled with Christ imagery. At one point, Superman even dies and then is resurrected in the comics. 
And um, and even so, you contend in the book that Jesus is not like Superman, and to view him as such is a form of heresy, and you're referring to docetism. So here's, here's the question in all that. Um, could you talk a bit why you believe thinking about Jesus as a kind of Superman is the wrong approach to viewing who Jesus is? Uh, I, I think where you see it in pastoral care, um, <clears throat> and over my years in ministry, people would uh, lament angrily that they felt God let them down. Mm. And what that meant was they prayed fervently that uh, their loved one would survive. Um, I mean, I've been through that myself. My uh, my wife died of Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. Agonizing uh, 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 demise. Well, uh, some years ago, oh, I remarried. Uh, uh, I'm very happily married now. But you go through that, and uh, mm. the churches were gathering, having prayer meetings, laying on of hands, praying for a miracle. Um, sometimes the miracle is not um, the reversing of the inevitable course of things but finding peace in it. And I think that we miraculously uh, were guided to an inner peace. Uh, she died very, very peacefully. Um, she lost her ability to speak, lost her ability to move any part of her body, and mm. yet had the joy in her eyes. Wow. And um, I don't think that would have happened without prayer. Yeah. Uh, I also believe that after that, uh, God has led me to a, another wonderful person, mm. uh, have a wonderful marriage. Um, it's Life's complicated. Sure. But it does and go on if you hang around long enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, first let me say I am so sorry uh, that your wife, your first wife, went through that and that you went through that with her. And we, we currently are have a person in our church that is dealing uh, with that same disease right now and I think that's our fourth person from our congregation over the years since I've been here that's had that and it's such a, a devastating disease and so I just wanted to say I'm sorry for the suffering that you've experienced there. Well I'm do great... all you can for the person going through it and sure. for his or her loved ones it's a very very difficult journey hmm. and um, seems to happen to good people. That's true. Well, one thing that I, I really love about uh, what you bring out in the book that you wrote is far from being this superhero that comes in and rescues everybody and saves the day and puts things back into sort of the status quo, um, Jesus is different in that Jesus is a God who enters into our suffering with yeah. us. And that yeah. Jesus is a God who... Um, is not content to leave us as we were. And you point out in the book several times that Superman doesn't really require anything of the people that he rescues. Superman just comes in, help, help, save me, and comes in and rescues them, puts them back, and everything goes back to normal. Yeah, he's but kind you, of a repairman. Yeah, sort of a repairman that comes along. But it's interesting how you write about it almost on the other extreme, that the, the God we see in Jesus comes in and requires more of us, that maybe yeah. he has come to be with us in this suffering, partially for our own redemption and for our transformation in the midst of things, and that our prayers are not so much about God 
come and change this thing, but our prayers are really about us being properly formed into the people of God and allowing God to shape us and mold us in those ways. And I really enjoyed the way that you pointed that out uh, several times, actually, throughout your book, that it's it's not the superhero thing that comes to save the day, but what a powerful statement that the God that we worship in Jesus, that we see in the power of the Holy Spirit, is the God who comes to suffer in those times and uh, that can enable you and, and we've we've heard from your stories today already we've heard your stories of the way um, that your congregation uh, through I believe the power of the Holy Spirit was able to help these still workers who um, you know without God in that circumstance who knows what would have happened and, and even what violence may have occurred in those times or yeah. the way that you have um, ministered over the years and then uh, even with your wife in those moments of her seeing the glimmer of Christ in her eyes and the way that, that Jesus enters in and into our situations and into our sufferings and uh, and begins to change us. So um, so Superman and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you one more time <laughs> in the okay. book before we're done today. Uh, in the book you say Superman gets people out of predicaments. He rescues them from places they do not wish to be. And he never tries to bring about any reordering in the lives of the persons with whom Clark Kent must associate from day to day. Personality sameness is an important part of the continuing episodes because personality sameness is something of value in human nature. So in essence, we want a Superman to rescue us because Superman puts things back like they were. But that's rarely the encounter that we have when we encounter Jesus Christ because to meet with Jesus is to meet with this holy other. Um... I wonder if you would be able to speak to this for just a moment about the way that Jesus actually, rather than rescuing us, actually many times causes us to lose control. I wonder if, if you could speak to that uh, moment. To be a faithful minister, to be a faithful Christian, to be a faithful church is dangerous business. <laughs> you know? mm, it, truly. it really is. Um, I worry about the American church because what we do is a market survey and develop a product that will sell. Um, we have a Lord uh, that may or may not sell, but is Lord, and it calls us to make some changes. Uh, Jesus calls us uh, not to become our true self, but to repent. Um, calls us to a new direction, calls us to new life, new power, think new thoughts. Um, and the, uh, the danger of a genuine church, you see, is you go to it, you might come out a different person. Hmm. And um, that different person might shock your friends. Uh, we need to, uh, can you imagine the cast of characters the day before Pentecost and the cast of characters the day after Pentecost? <laughs> different people, yeah. uh, yes. different power, different vision. Um, they had a certain uh, combination of giddiness and power, and um, they were dangerous, and they rocked the world. And this, this is uh, risky business. It's much easier to get a kind of inspirational talk to improve our golf game and make us more successful in business mm. and more charming at a cocktail party. <laughs> um, but... Uh, we're talking about somebody who's going to make you a dangerous, revolutionary, spiritually, spiritually renewed uh, force in the world. 
And my goodness, uh, mm. that scares people. Yeah. We need to stop sure. worrying about church growth and start worrying about genuineness. We're, we're not dying because we don't know how to grow a church. We're dying because uh, uh, the, the Lord said to the uh, disciples, that you stay right where you are, pray, mm. wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then be my witnesses. Mm. Uh, we skip that step. We try to do organization without the Holy Spirit. Mm. And when you go out to have a successful organization without the Holy Spirit, uh, I don't know what your organization is going to be, but it's going to be spiritually empty. Yeah. And oh. so I, I'm a big believer that you uh, realize God is alive and on the move. Yes. And let's uh, let's move with Him. Yeah. That's that's some good stuff. That's some good preaching this morning, sir. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, well, I've got, offering. <laughs> I've, I've got one more question for you today, yeah. and and then maybe one aside after that that has to do with uh, where you lived uh, for a while in your ministry. But one more question about the book specifically, and, and again, I thank you for being so generous with your time this morning. But um, religious people always tend to believe that God is on their side. Uh, Christians believe this, but at the same time, we have to realize Nazis also believe that, and they had God with us on their uniforms in German. Um, many white supremacists believe God is on their side. Many terrorists believe God is on their side. Allah Akbar, they will say as they attack. Um, I love this quote from your book. It says, projected heroes such as Superman may be on our side for our own sake. God is on our side for the sake of others. And I I just wanted to end with this uh, this one last question, if you'd be able to talk a bit about this. How uh, Before you get to the question, I would say uh, one sure. of the great uh, things to sing is who is on the Lord's side, you know? Yes. Um, and yes. Uh, that's the question. That's but right, I, okay, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I love how in the book you talk about how Jesus... Um, fills our cup. You know, there's that great hymn, Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Uh, Fill me till I want no more. But Jesus fills our cup not just so that it will run over, but the overflow is so that we could share his abundance. And I would just love to maybe hear you talk on that for just a minute. You wrote so well about it in the book, and I have a feeling from what I've already heard today that that is such a big part of your heart as a pastor. Um, but maybe just talk to us a little bit about that as the reason Jesus fills our cup. I think uh, to feed and uh, nourish others. Um, yes. I'll go back to the example from Pittsburgh when the steel workers came in. Um, we had resources. We had mm -hmm. connections. Um, we weren't going to keep them out and keep ourselves safe. We were going to share the resources. And uh, if you've got connections, you've got financial resources, you've got uh, creative ingenuity, uh, you've got time, uh, you, you've got all you've got a community. Uh, let's put it to work to serve people who are crying out for help. Hmm. And. Uh, that's that's what it is. It's, it's, it, we we have been filled for for a purpose. Uh, we're blessed for a purpose. Uh, Holy Spirit came upon the disciples not so they could feel good and be giddy, but so they could go out and transform the world. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's it's how do we use that which is in us to feed others? And uh, that, 
not building our organization and getting our numbers and all that. We have numbers for a purpose. Numbers are to go out and uh, uh, more, more and more people to go out and serve. And if that's if that's not your purpose, forget the numbers are empty. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's some good stuff. That'll preach, as they say. For as sure. they say. Well, it's been a real joy to get to talk to you this morning. I just had one other question because lately on this show we've had several people on the podcast that have had Pittsburgh connections and actually were were friends with Fred Rogers. And uh, I wonder if in your time in Pittsburgh, I know that the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood Show was in that area and he went to church in that area. Did you ever have any interactions with Fred or or any of the people that were connected with uh, his neighborhood show? Uh, he was on he was one side of the city. I was on another. Um, uh-huh. He's a Presbyterian minister. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many people know that, but Fred yeah. Rogers is a Presbyterian minister. Um, uh, did not have much interaction with him, but great respect for him. And mm. uh, my kids were raised by him. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, a that's wonderful. wonderful. Guy. Yeah. Well, I just had to ask that question because of the Pittsburgh connection for sure. But, uh, well, uh, John Galloway has been my guest today. And, John, it has been just a real privilege to get to talk to you. And let me say, um, you always have an open invitation. Uh, Anytime you want to come back and have another conversation, you're always welcome. I really enjoyed uh, the book, The Gospel According to Superman. And uh, I want to recommend it to anyone who can find it. Hopefully a publisher will pick it up and, and print it again because I don't feel like it's dated at all, to be honest with you. I feel yeah. like it still is, is just as, as powerful, maybe even more so, as the time it was first written. Some of the things you wrote about in the book, uh, as far as some social issues and things that were happening, it could be today. Uh, and, and so it's a very relevant book. Um, but thank you for your ministry over the years. Thank you for this book. And, uh, and thank you for being my guest here on Voices in My Head today. Well, thank you. Good to be with you. And, uh, and something I always say to my guests as we leave is uh, thank you for being one of the voices in my head. So you, were, you have been one of the voices in my head as, I, as I've read about you. So thanks for being one of the voices today. Yes, and indeed. God bless you. Thank you for joining me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com. Follow me on Twitter at rickleejames. Like my artist page at facebook.com slash rickleejames. And keep up to date on what I'm writing on my author page on Amazon. There's also the Voices in My Head Facebook community found at facebook.com slash voicespodcast. And if you want to follow my alter ego on Twitter, follow my popular Mr. Rogers quote account found at Mr. Rogers Say. Also, make sure to follow my appearance schedule on my website. And if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website at rickleyjames.com booking. And it would mean the world to me if you would write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now, the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen you in your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.